Blog Talk Radio. Oh, my God. 
This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Good evening, America. 
This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year is 95, you're a slave.
them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We welcome you to Africa on the Move as your host of the Africa. Don't we honor and privilege to come to your home this evening? Was to speak the truth to the powerful and the powerless. We come to share with you and give you information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. That's to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all the various forms of oppression. I actually stand by today and participate with us by calling in at 323-679-0841. And thing tonight is Africa owes you nothing. That's right. Africa owes you nothing. This will be a message to the West. So like always, you listen to Brother Africa, your host, and you know how we get started with our party by introducing you to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. First, I'd like to welcome Brother Haki, the Africa on the Move, who's a member of the African Awareness Association. Welcome, Brother Haki, to Africa on the Move. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My, my name is Haki Timothy Mishoki. And let me tell you, Brother Africa, you know, of all the trials and tribulations in the society, you know, there is so much we have to be, you know, cognizant 
of uh, from changes to the economy, uh, to the political atmosphere in the society, uh, to increasingly conservative environment. All of these things uh, are potential concerns, or should be potential concerns, of African people. But uh, but having said that, I think one of the things is that you know uh, when we talk about potential threat, uh, we we all acknowledge the role of authoritarianism. Uh, in American society, but the problem is that authoritarianism may well turn to civil war in American society. I'm sure many people would, would say, "Well, no, no, in America, that such a thing could never happen." But in fact, if you look at the history <clears throat> of Nazism throughout the world in terms of the evolution uh, culminating in the civil war, authoritarianism is often the impetus or the catalyst. In terms of bringing about, you know, civil war, and so we cannot easily dismiss what's going on in society in terms of alternative impulses and the culmination of civil war in a society. But having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out. Authoritarianism is defined as a, <clears throat> a political system which rejects political pluralism. It only recognizes inherent rights, only slightly, of those recognized as legitimate citizens of the state. It rejects federal government intrusion into local affairs via use of constitution and, and, and frowns upon rule of law that places federal government interpretation of constitutional law as a final arbiter <clears throat> instead of seeking power to unilaterally interpret the constitution. It can be argued the authoritarian strain of U.S. politics have existed from its very origin. From the class racial bias in the U.S. Constitution to sudden secession to oligarchic control of the economy, private interest groups have consistently opposed federal government mandates when such mandates oppose their interests. Interests that was once unilaterally advocated by the wealthy have been delegated to subordinates to carry out who now carry the torch for, for limited government and euphemism for total political economic control by elites. Now, strategies employed by elites to get the masses to embrace the interests of the wealthy is quite intricate, but does incorporate propaganda on varying, level, varying levels. Primary among these strategies is the use of media propaganda that is propagated by six corporations. <clears throat> For those who want to know, those six corporations are AT&T, CBS, Comcast, Disney, News Corp, and Viacom. Now, effectiveness of, the, of, the power, of their power to persuade is indisputable, and their effectiveness as social conditioning is so immense, a term was coined to highlight their ability to whitewash or hide any truth that elites deem uncomfortable. The term move, movement conservatism lays out the process of a small group of billionaires to control public discourse. Right-wing billionaires like Rupert Murdoch, media mogul, will use government-assisted funds to fund right-wing think tanks advocacy groups and politicians to carry out talking points at nauseum to create the perception what is being reported is actually factual. Media in turn will promote the, this propaganda on a larger scale to ensure this disingenuous message is internalized by the, message, by the masses. For example, work which historically was used by Africans to encourage African people to be alert to events in the United States society now has taken on a negative connotation. 
while most conservatives are unable to even define what woke means in right-wing lexicon. Now, the report of, of moving conservatism has certainly manifested as a catalyst for the establishment the rudimentary requirements for authoritarianism to take hold in U.S. society. While these changes that spur authoritarianism are slow, they are not imperceptible. Manifesting as philosophy, uh, philosophy can be by at least exposed a dark undertone that legitimizes both mass destruction and a penchant for civil war in America. It is no coincidence civil war as a vital strategy continues to be a point of discussion at Republican conventions, groupings. While some Republicans brazenly embrace civil war, others have been more circumspect, more pragmatic in their desire to facilitate civil war in the United States. Also opting for a mainstream strategy as a means to expand membership for right-wing causes, while solidifying the legitimacy of civil war, leaving no doubt the current call for civil war has been affected with those least expected to heed such a call to catastrophe embracing it on various levels. Two quick examples. First example, Alabama District Attorney Steve Marshall, a Republican, supports the idea of providing financial assistance for women seeking abortions outside of Alabama is a crime. Marshall maintains the conspiracy is what's being punished, and because the conspiracy started in Alabama, Alabama should have jurisdiction to proceed with criminal charges. Putting this absurdity aside, given the constitutional challenges of A, state sovereignty, B, freedom of travel and freedom of association, and C, limits on judicial actions, the real motivation for the district attorney is, is to test the power of constitutional resolve. Implicit in the district attorney's argument is states' rights. Alabama, a deeply conservative state, opposes government intervention across the board, despite the level of poverty in the state. Uh, of course, uh, Alabama being the seventh most, seventh most poorest country in the entire United States. Odds are a ruling by state court in opposition to district attorney's claims and a subsequent ruling by the Supreme Court rejecting the premise of the case will likely be seen as a slap in the face of 69% of the Alabama's population, of which 51% who support states' rights. As, as far as strategy, failure in the court is equivalent to a win for the district attorney in that the anger induced by what a perceived attack on states' rights exponentially increase the odds Alabama population will align with forces for civil war. Second example, legitimizing civil war. <clears throat> the second example involves a national group of right-wing sheriffs in the U.S. calling themselves the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers. The quintessential anti-federalist or opposition to federal government opposes the intervention in state affairs, maintains sheriffs exist to protect the public from evil. The organization proclaims, quote, when your government is evil and out of line, that's what the sheriff is there for, protecting them from that, end quote. It should be noted evil is a pejorative term used to describe social political events too complex to understand. This organization opposition to federal government is well-defined. Content to define constitutional law based upon self-interest of county officials, implementation of law is likely to be both chaotic and discriminatory. Human Supreme Court jurors have difficulty interpreting the Constitution. What is it about these rules' ability to interpret the Constitution? Unsure of what attributes these sheriffs, these sheriffs possess, they maintain government overreach makes them uniquely qualified to operate counties without federal government's interference. Ostensibly, constitutional sheriffs' preference for civil war is well supported. 
origins of the organization goes back to the colonial era when law enforcement served as the first organization to track and return enslaved Africans who escaped slavery. In the 1950s and 1960s, according to Vita Johnson of Georgetown Law, similar organizations existed to resist desegregation in the U.S. and by extension embrace a discriminatory law. Now, unfortunately, the appeal of these organizations is increasing according to some experts who study white supremacy in law enforcement. Since 2006, the FBI has warned white supremacists among the ranks of law enforcement. While there has whether there have been a demonstrated a direct link to the constitutional sheriffs and inequality, their, their influences on law enforcement have been probable. Reports indicate constitutional sheriffs have served as instructors for police academies throughout the United States, and the incidents of blatant police racism and carrying out their duties have increased. Recent documents reveal scandals of over 100 police departments in over 40 different states, <laughs> with many employing constitutional sheriffs as instructors, showing no signs of abatement. Under normal situations, such an organization that diminishes or demonizes the federal government will be considered terrorist. Constitutional sheriffs have not only evaded such characterization, but actively encouraged delegitimization of the federal government, which in turn encourages the spread of fascism, ultimately culminating in the probability of civil war in the United States. So let it be said, Brother Africa, we've been warned, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Next, we'll go to Brother Anthony. He's a member of the All-African Peoples, Revolutionary Part GC, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Okay, and from Brother Anthony, we can make our transition to Brother Moses who's a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. We will now welcome Brother Moses to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I, I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And the struggle is to continue to speak, to unite the many, to defeat the few. We see the situation in the world today is that the dominant ideology in the world is the ideology of the oppressor. And that's why we have the Israeli-U.S. government project and uh, this oppression of the world's people. We know that 
that in eight in nineteen hundred or so the Bund Party, B U N D, a Jewish Bund Party in the Soviet Union, the well, Russia at that time, uh pre Soviet Union days, the Bund Party was advocating for cultural national autonomy for the Jewish people. And uh this is the direct direct descendants of of the modern day state of Israel. They had a plan for how to make the Jews great again, and they implemented their plan, and uh, that's why we have Israel today. And so uh, it shows that where there's a will, there's a way. And so we have to have our own plan and our own freedom plan. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And following Brother Moses, we now will bring in Sister Eleanor, who is also a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brother Africa and fellow panelists, and to our listeners in the United States and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I am uh, delighted to be on this evening's show. I'd like to add to what Brother Moses said in that in the 19th century in Warsaw, uh, not only did uh, Jewish people establish a wall to wall in the, the, the poor, but they also established uh uh, or founded Zionism, as uh, as as we know it, or as it developed to what it is today in its military settler state uh, in Palestine, and uh, so it shows, as Brother Moses says, that a determined people, or that we need to organize ourselves and stand up uh, and make sure that there's a place in the world for all working class people and that as Africans and descendants of Africa that we are educating our children, that we are thinking about health, that we are respecting our women and moving forward and to remember what Malcolm X said about African-American women. No other women have been treated worse. And he said because he acknowledged that he was one of the people who had treated African-American women so poorly, that we should not assume this is a global phenomenon among Africans. This is a shortcoming of us who have suffered under chattel slavery. So, you know, we, as Brother Moses said, need to stand up, face it, know our history, and understand what it is to organize and to work as a collective to bring about a new community and a change in the world today as Pan-Africanists. Thank you so much for having me on this evening's show. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, for being here. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. You know how we do it. We can take a station break. We'll come back. 
we can discuss what's going on in your world and the community. You can join us by calling us at 323-679-0841. I need a break right now. My voice is giving out. We'll be right back. You'll listen to Africa on the Moon. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can conquer hate. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love and kiss here today. Pick it light and pick it fast. Don't punish me with brutality. Talk to me so you can see. Right. 
or impose taxes for imports or exports on commodities, nor does it control interest rates, which is important for the domestic economy of Africa. Now, one of the things in terms of when we talk about the credit ratings, credit, you know, credit agencies, um, we need to talk a little about the origin of, of, the, of the credit ratings in the system, and then we get a better sense in terms of the power the big three wield in terms of ability to undermine Africa's economic development. Now, the, the credit rating agencies, which were incorporated <clears throat> to assist the World Bank in the IMF back in 1944, now, this was done at a time in which the, ben, the Bretton Woods crisis uh, was established. Now, and for those who don't know what the Bretton Woods uh, Wood Conference was all about, essentially what it was about is to divvy up the world in terms of <clears throat> what Western states would have access to what uh, Global South uh, resources. Now, the mission of Global, now, here's the thing. The mission of Bretton Woods, based on the Atlantic, Atlantic Charter of 1941, was to ensure U.S. and Britain, Great Britain at the time, quote, further the, the, the enjoyment of conference participants, access on equal terms to the trade to raw materials of the world which are needed for economic prosperity, end quote, presumably in the West. In other words, Bretton Woods was established to promote imperialism, pure and simple. We should not forget only three African states were invited to the Bretton Woods Conference. One was Ethiopia, and why Ethiopia was invited? Perhaps because Ethiopia was the only African country not successfully colonized. Liberia was invited because Liberia at that point was a colony of the United States government. And South Africa, uh, because of its relationship to apartheid. So clearly the impetus is that they had no desire to, to include Africa in the global economy. So that, that's very, very clear. Now, the inner workings of these three agencies, I think, is key in terms of understanding why Africa is so impoverished. Now, in, as far as standard employees concerned, it was established to create index of companies to facilitate investments. Initially, it started off in 1923 with 223 uh, countries, 223 states, uh, 200, excuse me, 223 companies. Uh, as such, they had some expertise in terms of, you know, defining just how successful companies are based upon various kinds of research. Moody's credit agency, and which is very interesting, Moody's was incorporated to evaluate credit risk of financial obligations. Now, Moody, Moody uses a very interesting credit strategy. As far as Moody is concerned, when it analyzes when it, when it analyze people's Africa's credit worthiness, it basically relies on two, two, two standards. One, speculative or high risk, the other being uh, uh, other one being stabled. And so, therefore, when you think about terms of the, the criteria they use to assess, the function of, of one's economy, uh, clearly that's not much room in terms of, you know, uh, I mean, debate. So essentially what you're saying, either we agree with what the government is doing financially or we disagree. So it gives Moody a lot of leverage in terms of creating interest rates at exorbitant levels when it comes to Africa, simply because they can always say that based upon any number of things, COVID-19, um, um, hepatitis or whatever it is, to justify, you know, high interest rates for African states. And thirdly, Finch. Uh, Finch also is responsible for indexing, you know, uh, companies in terms of assessing how, how credit worthy they are. But more interestingly, when it comes to Mook Finch, the thing is that Finch, Finch serves as a third wheel in terms of being a tiebreaker when, when, when Standard & Poor and Moody cannot determine an effect degree on the credit rating, uh, Finch steps in and makes it do a tiebreaker. So that's interesting. So there's a certain amount of gambling that's taking place 
in terms of in terms of assessing you know one's creditworthiness, and you, you certainly you can anticipate or you can certainly understand the level of politics involved in terms of the pressure on Fitch, you know, to do precisely that is what the Western states want want them to do. And now also, you know, one of the things, you know, when we talk about the importance in terms of, you know, the proliferation of imperialism, one of the things we have to understand, when we talk in context of those three credit agencies, these three credit agencies are not obliged to share the report with anybody, anybody. They can sell the information, they can provide the information to people, for, to, to corporations for sale, but they're not mandated to provide any information whatsoever. Uh, for most of them, they often get their 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 their, their they often get their their, their 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 they get paid and simply by selling it the research that they have. But they're not obligated to provide information to anybody. So if you and I want to know the inner workings in terms of these credit agencies, in terms of why these interest rates are so high when it comes to Africa, uh, they're not legally bound to provide that information for us, even under Freedom of Information Act. Uh, and now keep in mind, these agencies, these credit agencies, are probably owned. By private corporations, so their so their so their obligation is to nobody but their bottom line. It's not it's not about it's not about honesty. It's not about fairness. It's not about equality. It's not about any of that stuff. It's all about the bottom line. And also, brother Africa, I think one of the things you know again when we talk about this question in terms of African indebtedness and we talk about the kinds of maneuvers they employ in terms of keeping Africa economically underdeveloped. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about the interest, you know, interest on bonds, on international bonds. Now, Africa paid the highest, some of the highest interest rates in the world. In fact, it's estimated by reports that Africa paid between six to sixteen percent uh, uh, interest rates on a on a bond. Now, that's interesting. When you contrast that with the West, who create bonds at zero interest, uh, then you think about the fact that Africa paying between six to sixteen percent interest on those bonds. Then clearly, then you understand why Africa is a real disadvantage. Also, one of the things that we talk about the hardcore politics of it all, a lot of these bond issuers exaggerate the level of debt in Africa. See, they can simply say whatever they want to say because the bottom line is that Africa doesn't have access to those reports. And because they don't have access to reports, when these bond issuers say, hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to charge you this high interest rate because, you, because of A, B, and C, uh, there's no way to double-check that because, uh, because the, the agencies are not obliged to share that information with African states. Think about that for a minute. Now, also, I think one of the things that, you know, when we talk about in terms of the solvability or well, the solvency of Africa, most African states are doing pretty, pretty, are pretty well in terms of maintaining low, low debt. Uh, according to the IMF, uh, most African states are doing extremely well, except four which have debt, <laughs> except four which are not doing well. Most African states have a debt-to-GDP ratio of 60% which according to the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, is good for investment and should, should accompany, be, be accompanied by low interest rates because of the low debt. But in the case of Africa, despite the 60% GDP debt-to-GDP ratio uh, in terms of use, in terms of assessing the amount of interest charge, 100 is, 100 is great. When you contrast that with – I mean, 60% is great. When you contrast that with the United States in terms of its debt-to-GDP ratio of 150%, the U.S. is certainly more indebted than Africa, but yet the U.S. pays zero interest rates when it comes to when it comes to purchasing or creation of, of bonds. So we need to understand historically, you know, why Africa is so poor and the role that these institutions play in terms of fomenting or facilitating Africa's Africa's uh, uh, poverty. Now, the African Union plans creating its own credit rating agency, but it's very very interesting 
uh, because creating your own credit rating agency to judge the credit residents of African states would do nothing would do nothing to control you know these multilateral institutions like the IMF or the World Bank. Nor will it uh, enable Africa to um, set its the value of its currency or the value of its commodity or even to control its interest rates. So the bottom line is that these proposals are somewhat on the fringe. They don't really address what the structural issues really are in terms of Africa's underdevelopment. Uh, these are simply uh, maneuvers to, to appease people, to make people think that, in fact, that uh, these leaders are, in fact, committed to really changing, you know, or ridding the continent of, of neocolonialism or imperialism on the African continent. But the bottom line, Brother Africa, is that given all these structural malaise, the structural realities, that we can understand that imperialism will proceed unimpeded unless African, unless new African leaders emerge. The bottom line is those African leaders who are content to play ball with this global system are doomed to be impoverished forever. And that's real, that's real sad, but nonetheless, that is the reality, and I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we make our transition to Brother Anthony. But Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay, uh, several things. Uh, let's see. Um, there are signs that uh, that the the workers of the world are getting fed up with uh, capitalism and imperialism. I shared uh, I shared with you all a series. Uh, uh, an email from the Real News Network yesterday that had links to various articles in which uh, the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere, particularly Nevada, are struggling against uh, a lithium mine uh, that's being planned for uh, northern Nevada. And uh, the indigenous people are fighting against that. And also, uh, the UAW is on strike because they, uh, they're fighting for better working conditions for its membership. And, uh, you know, there are signs that, um, that in spite of uh, imperialism's offensive, People are getting fed up with uh, imperialism, and uh, signs are are, 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 all, are all over the world. And uh, in particular, uh, you know, um, the struggle to reveal the truth by Julian Assange. His case uh, uh, is also highlighted, and also. Um, you know, uh, there are uh, people are getting fed up, not only with uh, with what, uh, the exploitation by imperialist countries in Africa, but worldwide. And um, you know, and uh, there's sign for hope. Uh, you know, just that uh, you know, just that people have to get better organized in order to. Um, uh, to ensure the defeat of in, uh, of uh, capitalism worldwide. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we'll make a transition to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world 
and the community. First of all, as noted by Brother Anthony, the irresistible trend in the world is countries want independence, nations want liberation, and the people want revolution. That's the irresistible historical trend. And so we, we find it playing out in different ways because where there's oppression, there's resistance. And so there's always been a movement for justice, for fair play, for equality, for truth. And Julian Assange represents that movement as well as the UAW and their struggle against the capitalist class. Um, they represent the working class, and we are demanding higher wages, but also the revolutionary demand of the parties of the working class is for an end to the wage slave system itself, replacing it with a new democratic society, uh, a society of, of egalitarianism, a society of rule of law. And we see this struggle taking place on all fronts, and we are determined that we will win because we are confident in the victory of good over evil. And so that's what's going on in the world. Um, Fortunately, Tuesday, I was able to be at the White House for the demonstration with the American Indian Movement and and the Free Leonard Peltier Movement, Uh, certainly the oldest uh, serving political prisoner in the U.S. of A. needs to be recognized, and we need to struggle to free all political prisoners, Mamiya, everyone so and then after that uh, on same that day on Tuesday I was able to go to an event at the Institute for Policy Studies where the ambassador from, from the from the Cuba was there I believe in the audience and the deputy secretary of Cuba I, I'm, I'm not good on on names and stuff uh, the, the ambassador from Nicaragua was there um, and it was just a good meeting. Uh, uh, high eagle, where the eagles are gathered, and so um, I'm confident that victory is assured. We just have to stay the course and uh, know that there is a plan, and that we order my steps in the word. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And next, we make our transition to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, um, uh, the one thing that uh, has already been answered uh, or mentioned had been the um, uh, the auto workers' strike, standing in solidarity with the auto workers' strike. Also. Um, California ICE detainees are on a hunger strike and it's part of a long fight for their freedom because just like the prison industrial complex they're they're fighting for better wages and conditions while building momentum to secure the release and shutdown of the for-profit immigrant jails for good uh, the immigrant jails are a part of the U.S. prison industrial complex, so they're standing in unity with uh, uh, other 
prisoners in the United States. The other thing is important to remember when we think of Salvador Allende is that Salvador Allende, his legacy is to show the world a path towards democracy and utilizing technology for democracy. And that's really important to to highlight right now with the uh, struggle with AI. We saw what the Republican Party had done with these uh, artificial intelligence commercials where none of the people, the speakers, nothing was real. It was all fabricated. And we see the division in labor in that how we view the writer's strike versus the auto worker's strike. And uh, it's important that we stand in solidarity. Uh, We see uh, people saying that if they don't uh, accept the terms of of the CEOs making hundreds of uh, time more than them uh, that they will see their jobs go to uh, right-to-work states. Well, I think that as a nation, we have to stand in solidarity with the auto workers. And that means uh, uh, thinking about whether or not you buy foreign or domestic cars and making sure that uh, you take a close close look at that and whether or not you even purchase a new automobile while the strike is going on and that we make our voices heard through letters and emails to the uh, auto industry. And uh, that's that's really important. And then uh, what they call gig workers, uh, got their first uh, major breakthrough uh, in, uh, in the age of platform capitalism with uh, stewards and anti-worker uh, algorithms operating as a digital boss. So they were able to break through in India. And the other thing, speaking of internationalism in India, Right now, Mohi, who is, uh, was recently in the District of Columbia at the White House um, la- this week or last week, mowed down Muslim homes. The Muslims are the largest minority, and he is uh, Islamophobic. And uh, it's a type of... of uh, it's unbelievable, but it was actually last month. Fleet of bulldozers descended upon the houses and shops of unsuspecting Muslim residents in India, tearing down buildings without any official notice or legal order in what the courts have now termed a exercise of, of ethnic cleansing. So we see that... Uh, uh, authoritarianism continues to be the struggle of the masses throughout the world. And as the speaker said, that workers around the world are standing up. As Haiki gave a definition of authoritarianism, 
uh, elected figures have indulged in violent uh, Islamic, uh, Islamophobic uh, rhetoric. Uh, Chief Minister of India's most popular state, uh, Yogi Adiyana, uh, who is widely considered to be Mohi's successor, has talked about feeding bullets the Muslim troublemakers. So, you know, we see uh, this kind of aggression happening internationally while we continue uh, to see uh, unions struggling uh, um, to be uh, established, workers struggling to establish unions throughout the United States. I believe it was about 23 last year. We saw Starbucks, we saw Amazon struggling to uh, form unions. So there were about 24 struggles. And we have to remember that uh, people like Jeff Bezos said it himself that he used the money made by the workers, the $23 million in, 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 in revenue that he used to fight the union was made by the workers and therefore was just a part of business suspended. So, you know, these are the things going on and um, I still stand in solidarity with uh, environmentalists. We see uh, the horrible earthquake uh, uh, in uh, Morocco and in Libya we saw the torrential rains in the desert and floods, and uh, it devastated uh, uh, a community. Two dams actually uh, uh, collapsed or fell apart, and there are believed to be more than 11,000 dead. So I stand in solidarity with the people of Libya and hoping that they get relief from abroad and helping them to rebuild. But right now the major crisis is getting things like water and food to them as well as um, getting uh, search workers and dogs, cadaver dogs, to help find the dead and bury them. And that pretty much sums up what's going on in my world right now. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, and to our listening audience. You have just heard what's going on in my political panelists and this world and their community. And like always, you can share your world with us as well. I call in on every Sunday evening on what's going on in your world and the community by dialing in at 323 at this time, we're going to take a rubbish-air culture break, and when we come back, we're going to entertain our theme tonight. It's on Africa. And the thing is, Africa owes you nothing. We'll discuss that and more. Don't you go nowhere. This is Brother Africa, and you're listening to Africa on the Move. We'll be right back.
political convention. Talking of your crusades, talking of your nation, and other things too terrible to mention. And you proclaim your Christianity, you proclaim your love of God, you talk of apple pie and mine. I've just got one question, can I want an answer? Tell me, who would Jesus bomb? Cause they're not Jews like him Maybe Jesus would bomb the Afghans On some kind of vengeful whim Maybe Jesus would drive an M1 tank And he would shoot Saddam Who would Jesus bomb? On the TV and on the battleships, I've seen you in the house on the hill. And I've heard you talking about making the world safer and about all the men you have to kill. And you speak so glibly about your civilization and how you have the moral higher ground. While halfway around the world, your explosives smash the buildings, you could only hear the sound. But maybe Jesus would sell landmines and turn on his electric chair. Maybe Jesus would show no compassion for his enemies in the lands way over there. Maybe Jesus would have flown the plane that killed the kids in Vietnam. Who would Jesus bomb? Hear you shout with confidence as you praise the Lord And you talk about this God you know so well You talk of Armageddon and your final victory When all the evil forces go to hell Well, you'd best hope you've chosen wisely on the right side of the Lord And when you die, your conscience, it is clear You'd best hope your atom bombs are better than the sword At the time when your reckoning is here I don't think Jesus would send gunships into Bethlehem Or jets to raise the towns of Timorese I don't think Jesus would lend money to dictators Or drive those SUVs I don't think Jesus would ever have dropped A single ounce of napalm Who would Jesus bomb? Jesus bomb. Who would Jesus bomb? Oh, from the Indians, welcome the pilgrims. And to the buffaloes who once ruled the plains Like the vultures circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain 
just like the city has stagger on the coastline and a nation that just can't stand much more like the forest buried beneath the highway never had a chance to grow never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the healers Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter in America and ain't nobody fighting cause nobody knows what to say save your soul Lord knows from winter in America the constitution a noble piece of paper with free society The struggle but they died in vain And now democracy Is a ragtime on the corner A hope and false rain It's looking like he's a hope and Hope and false rain And I see the robbers First in barren treetops Watching last ditch races Marching across the floor But just like the peace behind That vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America and all of the hillers have been killed or betrayed yeah but the people know the people know it's winter Lord knows it's winter in America Nobody knows what to say Save your soul From a winter in America
it's a winner Winter in America And all of the hillers Done been killed Sit away
That's right. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We'll take you on a music journey throughout the world. Today is the 17th September, 2023. And we now entertain our feature theme for today's program, which is Africa Owes You Nothing. That's right. We said it. Africa Owes You Nothing. We have a discussion on this particular thing with our political panelists and analysts. We'd like to open our land open to you as well, where you can come and share your views, your perspectives, and we speak on this particular thing. So right now, let's jump into the fire and continue down the road of liberation by having this critical discussion. Africa owes you nothing. One of the things we'd like to say on Africa on the Moon is that we are an advocate of sharing information and particularly exposing other people's works that has great value in moving our people forward and to help move humanity forward. We like to encourage all those who listen to this program is to, if you get a chance, you can go on YouTube platform and look up the video. You stole everything. Why are you still here? And your days are numbers. Look up those three particular titles and check them out. I think they have some value in terms of raising consciousness among our people as it relates to our prison being. So on that note, we're going to discuss the theme right now, Africa owes you nothing, and we're going to bring in our political panelists and analysts, start off with Brother Haki. Brother Haki, from the video, you stole everything. They had a real interesting um, question they started out with. And the question is, who does Africa treasure belong to? Who does Africa treasure belong to? That's that verse simplistic. Why are there questions raised outside of Africa to who African treasures belong to? Give me a critique of that particular phenomenon, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, the, the the thing is that the world operates as though Africa's resources belongs to them. And so we ask the question in terms of, you know, who does the treasures, African treasures belong to? Of course, objectively, it belongs to the to the people of, of, the, of, the, of the African continent. But the reality is, I mean, you talk about in terms of how the global financial system is structured, uh, there, is, there is this long history in which the exploitation of African resources has been at play. And as far as the West is concerned, in terms of, you know, taking those resources for the benefit of African states, in particular for the benefit of, Af- of, of, Europe, of, of Europe, Western elites, uh, their position is that what they're doing is, 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 is correct. And so the question in terms of fairness uh, or, or doesn't 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 play doesn't figure in one in one iota. Uh, in other words, uh, this notion in terms of you know we like to believe that uh, when we talk about you know justice, when we talk about honesty, we like to believe that that resonates with people. But the bottom line is that when you talk about a system which is cold and impersonal, it doesn't it doesn't it, uh, the question of justice, fairness, honesty doesn't pull any weight as far as that system is concerned. That system is discompassion, incompa- you know, discompassion, oh, excuse me, 
is, 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 it lacks compassion. And so in that, in, that, in that regard, when they were stealing resources of Africa, they're not doing anything wrong. They're simply fulfilling the requirements of that system, the capitalist system. And so, therefore, the question in terms of who did, who the African treasures belong to, it depends on who you're talking to. Uh, if you're talking to the West, their position is that they belong to us because we fundamentally got the right in terms of, you know, we got this rule-based order that exists in, that exists in the world. We call the shots. Uh, you know, Africa must play ball. If Africa doesn't play ball, then we, we find ingenious ways to punish them. So for them, they would say that Africa's treasures belong to the West. So clearly that's ironic, but nonetheless, that is essentially what's going on in terms of global finances. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. What we're going to do right now, make a transition to Brother Anthony. On the same documentary video, Brother Anthony, it raised another crucial question of, do the people of Germany really know the history and role that Germany has played in Africa, particularly in Namibia? Can you speak to that phenomenon, Brother Anthony? And not only in Germany, I'm yes. raising the question, do the people in Europe really know the role that they have played? throughout Africa, African communities throughout the world, not only just in Africa. So go ahead, Brother Anthony. Actually, uh, I don't don't think, uh, you know, contemporary Europeans are aware of of how, uh, you know, Europe amassed its wealth. And it was off the exploitation and uh, st- and uh, and stealing uh, the resources of African people, and uh, and actually there was a massacre that occurred in Namibia uh, during uh, German rule uh, during the 19th century, uh, in which uh, uh, you know uh, uh, over a hundred thousand people were killed. And uh, and uh, and the thing about it though, and the thing about it though, um, uh, let's see. Uh, this is uh, uh, glossed over in European histories, but um, you know, uh, uh, Africans have suffered tremendously from the exploitation of their resources and their lives. And uh, the sister pointed out during her presentation how uh, how uh, the uh, Africans in, in what was called the Congo were uh, were, were 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 actually uh, you know mutilated if they didn't meet their uh, production quotas uh, for uh, rubber. And uh, you know, and uh, we, and uh, this has been happening for several hundred years. Uh, uh, you know, for, first through chat, uh, through slave trade and chattel slavery, and then the exploitation of Africa's resources on the, on their own land. So uh, this is. Uh, Finish your point, brother. Mike is yours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, what uh, you know, the, uh, this, uh, the, uh, you, you know, this is why Africa suffers to this day because of that uh, exploitation that has gone on. 
Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony, from Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, I think this question shows the kind of contempt they have for African, African people. When the way to issue that, this is not ours. If you know what you have sold is not yours, then they turn around and ask the question, what should we do with it? What do you draw from that kind of attitude, Sister Eleanor? If you know I'm something sorry, not yours, then you ask what you should do with it. What was the question? I couldn't hear you. The question is, they raise the question that Europeans may come to the understanding of knowing what they have is now, but yet, they, but yet they ask the question, what should you do with something that doesn't belong to you? In other words, I see that as a form of really con, um, contempt or disrespect and lack of um, total lack of respect when it comes to African, African people and their belongings. Your response to the idea of the question, if you know something's not yours, what should you do with it? Well, if something's not yours, uh, other than stealing it, how would you come in possession of it? But the whole phenomena right now of, uh, of uh, as Brother Haiki had talked about, the CFR, uh, the old French colonial currency, and uh, how it was a u- originally used uh, an inferior to the to the franc, and now here we have it, and it is uh, uh, inferior in terms of its value to the euro, and uh, this is a, 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 a tremendous a tremendous problem. And um, when when the reality is, the the new currency, the talk of the brick and creating a new currency is one avenue, uh, is the only avenue uh, to stop using the CFR. And this uh, mandate that uh, people trade in dollars or or British pounds sterling, or euros, or yen, uh, is uh, quickly being crushed because uh, China, uh, to my knowledge, does not use those currencies. It uses its own currency, as does Russia. So uh, the reality is uh, this is stolen property. So it, it should be returned. It, the mining should stop. Um, uh, uh, we think of, uh, as someone mentioned earlier, about to do mining in the indigenous lands here in the United States. That was often done in New Mexico and uh, for uh, uranium and the uh, indigenous people in the Navajo uh, paid a tremendous problem, uh, a tremendous debt and, and the impact it had on their health. So what we see in Africa with um, also mining and the exploit of uh, what is called commodities by the world, it needs to stop. 
it needs to be uh, uh, Africa needs to have sanctions against Europe uh, and uh, the United States. But right now, 15 countries can have sanctions against France, against uh, Germany, um, against any country that attempts to exploit Africa. And the idea of putting your money in a French bank, your your F- CFRs, and then having to pay euro to pay euro um, interest rates and pay back in euro dollars is a form of exploitation. That's a form of colonialism. So the whole fight is is in colonialism and to remove the neo-colonialists from their positions of authority. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dalmore. Brother Moses, I'd just like to get your general response to this particular um, narrative, which is, is well documented documented how you had lied, stolen, and cheated Africa for the centuries. Is there any justification for one to make a claim that Africa owes them anything? Just your general response to that question, Brother Moses. No, I think Walter Rodney's book, um, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, speaks speaks volumes of this whole question. Uh, um, you know, the help when people are helping you, you know, it's like they either have disinterested aid, as they say, or they have a vested interest in in what in what in 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 exploiting you, basically, under the guise of helping you. And uh, so, you know, this this is the problem uh, with with Europe and and Africa, uh, the the. The material, um, the dollars, uh, uh, they represent human relationships. It's not a the they have the dollar has no uh, quality of relationship in in and of itself, uh, but it, it represents the relationship between human beings. This is basic Marxism, and so um, the, it shows that they are being exploited systematically exploited just as Eleanor was pointing out it's a, it's a it's a business arrangement it's 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 scientific uh exploitation uh and um you know the narrative is we're helping you and and you owe us for helping you and uh and you know like they say, it may play well in Pretoria, but in Johannesburg, they see it for what it's worth. Thank you. Now, well done, Brother Moses. Brother Hakeem, we hear this all the time to try to justify itself as people in exploitation. I'd like to get your response to one of the things that came out from this documentary, which I thought was a very interesting point, an important one, and I'd like for you to ask, extrapolate on it. So a lot of times people say we have nothing to do 
we had nothing to do do with the past. You know, we were not part of it. That happened in the past. You can't change the past. But we can change our blindness to the past. But we can change our blindness to the past, Brother Haki. Can you expand upon that? Why that's an important particular issue to look at as relates to those who won't deny their past existence and their behavior and be excused from their responsibility to today's world and how today's world affects with this global academic of oppression? Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, you know, uh, one, one of the biggest strategies employed is rationalization where we we, 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 we seek to create this uh, false dichotomy where we say that, well, the past is the past and it's not relevant to today. But, of course, we understand the, the past very much affects the present. And, and the problem is that people, people who, who, who simply don't want to change their paradigm are not willing to acknowledge those past misdeeds because all of them in order for them to, to, to acknowledge those past misdeeds, they have to acknowledge that on some level, as the system currently exists, there's some benefit to them in terms of, you know, not only historically the way the system exists, the way the system operated, but the way the system operates currently. And so, therefore, I think with this rationalization, this becomes a, a, a useful excuse in terms of just pretending like, you know, that this stuff is irrelevant. And, 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 and when we talk about the problems of the day, these problems are unique to the day. Uh, it's, again, it's just it's just a rationalization, uh, you know. Of course, you know one of the things that you know when you start talking about, you know, uh, you know censorship, or when you start talking about e- eliminating African history, when you start talking about trying to create narratives uh, to justify uh, the past, then it's in, implicitly what it does it it it, 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 impl- it says it's actually saying that you are cognizant of those past historical misdeeds. And the mere fact that you're playing all and devising all of these faulty strategies as a means to sort of get around that past just really only underscores, you know, just you know how much you do understand in terms of historical in, uh, in, inequities in terms of its impact on today's society. So clearly, you know, one of the things I think you are not going to get people who have a vested interest in denying the past to deal to deal with that that past. Because they intimately understand that not only do they benefit from the continuation of that past, but also on some level it's also an indictment. Because in order for you to bring about, you know, real change in the society, then you have to give up something. They're not giving up. They're not willing to give up anything. And so, therefore, it's much easier to simply deny the past and continue to benefit from the past. And so, somehow, the past is not relevant in terms of what's going on. I think one of the things I think, and, I, 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 and I'm going to say this and I conclude, I think one of the things that in terms of sort of, sort of makes it sort of difficult to acknowledge in the past, I think there's a great tendency among many people to acknowledge the, 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 the internalization of racism uh, or, or to, the, to the extent that people are refused to acknowledge the internalization of racism gives them a, 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 a blanket excuse to dismiss all those things of the past. Uh, they can simply proclaim, you know, "I'm not racist," you know. But then, when you look at it in terms of in terms of the, the 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 in terms of how the institution works in society, and the benefits you accrue from those institutions and how they work, then clearly they understand that there is some benefit in terms of in terms of participation with that society. And so, therefore, in that regard, they're unwilling 
to acknowledge racism because once they acknowledge racism, then they have to acknowledge that you know that all of this is predicated, all this, all this suffering, all this injustice, uh, all this inequality is is is, is predicated on the, the real, on on the realization that racism uh, is, is alive and well. And I think because the people refuse to even to acknowledge that, I think nothing ever changes. So and it doesn't matter whether they're conservative or they're liberal. The bottom line is that this, this propensity not to acknowledge the existence of racism or to pretend like it doesn't exist, I think is part and parcel of the problem. So I think that you know people employ these kind of rationalizations as a, as a means in terms of avoiding those things which are painful, those things are reflective, those things are, which are, are true. So clearly, you know, one of the things I, I, I would say to anybody, I think rather than trying to get people to confront to confront the, the past in terms of the impact of the future of the, of the present, one thing you should do is for oppressed people to concentrate, but not to necessarily concentrate on the past, but to ensure that their children understand the past in order to move forward. But in, in doing that, I don't think we should be preoccupied in terms of compelling others, uh, you know, to acknowledge the past. But the bottom line is that, a lot of people are simply not prepared or don't want to acknowledge the past. So I think we do a disservice when we insist that they acknowledge the past. I think it's more important from a strategic point of view that we understand the past, teach it to our children, in order to move forward. So that's my view, and I close with that. Thank you, Dr. Hyde-Key. And Dr. Anthony, as we look at that documentary, that video, you stole everything. It raised a very interesting um, question in terms of one trying to justify their thievery and exploitation. And in other words, I think they also look at Africa as like we being little children in the sense of would raise the issue of ownership versus being able to take care of something that you have or something that belongs to you. In other words, you got something and you don't think you can take care of it, and you shouldn't have the right to have it. Or if you have someone else, something belongs to someone else, you don't think they can not take care of it, then there's justification to keep it. Your response to that rationale, Brother Anthony? That rationale uh, does not uh, does not uh, 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 hold much water for me. One, uh, it, uh, it, it, it negates the fact that uh, that what you have is stolen. It's stolen from uh, from the people to whom it belongs, and uh, what they do with it <coughs> uh, under their control is is irrelevant. It's not uh, it's not irrelevant to that discussion whether they can take care of it or not. Of course, the, uh, uh, they can. To their uh, to their ability and their understanding, and I think it's uh, and I think it's a, uh, a sign of uh, cultural uh, racism uh, to, to 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 you know to have that argument uh, that uh, that because people don't know what to do with it, they they shouldn't control it. I mean, uh, I mean, uh. uh uh, who who better uh, to uh, to control what uh, uh, what is ours, us or other people? And uh, and I think uh, you know uh, you know it shows a certain uh, bias 
a cultural bias in terms of uh, you know the racism that perpetuates itself. Because if something belonged to Europe and uh, it was in some place else, there would be no question that 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 it would belong to Europe. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Since Eleanor, we'd have to lose with the stuff that you use, and you're going to speak power. You can speak truth to power. Having said that, Sister Eleanor, in the, in the video, Why Are You Still Here? It's, actually, it's raising the question. If Africa is so poor, if African people cannot think, if African people have not to reveal, why is the Europeans are still in Africa? That's a multi-trillion, trillion, trillion, trillion dollar question. Talk to me, Sister Eleanor. If Africa's poor, they have nothing to offer. Why are Europeans still there? Well, um, they are there. I believe it was, uh, was it the Marshall Plan? It was similar to the Monroe Doctrine, but the Marshall Plan, wasn't that about redeveloping Europe by underdeveloping Africa? Well, they're there because their wealth and their uh, lifestyle is on the back of Africans. Uh, both as laborers, but um, their resources. Um, uh, Africans may not be wearing diamonds as in larger number as Europeans are, but the diamond mines are most frequently and most uh, prolific in Africa, as is gold, uranium, cobalt. And the list goes on. So they're there. And it's a form of military occupation. We look at the United States with 29 military bases in Africa. They're not there to keep Africans safe. They're there to protect the resources of the West. And uh, we take a look at uh, the Europeans right now and their advancement into North Africa, Libya, and uh, I believe we we mentioned the country uh, just a couple of weeks ago. You mentioned it, Brother Africa, on this program. They're moving there to extend the European border into North Africa to stop the migration of environmental refugees. So they're there for resources, for commodities. These are European businesses that operate. They're mining, uh, they're mining industry in Africa. And their labor force for that operation is in Africa. That's why they're there. They're there because without that uranium from Niger, there would be no life in Europe. 
they're there because without that coal from Burkina Faso, there would be no source of heat without the North Stream pipeline trying to expand their presence in Africa right now. Now, you saw the United States and Amsterdam recently return the Benin sculptures uh, to the to Nigeria because the Benin nation is a part of Nigeria right now. However, that's just the tip of the iceberg. The real <clears throat> the real thing is it's time to stop using the CFR currency just to reject doing any form of commerce whether in 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 Africa or abroad with the said currency anymore and to only trade with nations who also offer other currency and begin to use the currency market. You know, there are traders who trade in currency every day. African nations need to become traders in currency so that they can get stop the use of the CFR and the Europeans aren't there as as colonial occupiers with the help of the neo-colonialists. There are people who some leaders who play a role uh, in, 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 in supporting the occupation of the imperialists. And we see now that the old, uh, the office of American states that in the 70s and probably even before, as we saw in Diego Rivera's painting of Guatemala, where you saw Eisenhower's uh, face in a cannonball and uh, one of the Dulles brothers driving a jeep and a military leader who says the streets of Guatemala will run red with blood if necessary for him to maintain control. Uh, we now see those very facilities in Fort Boom and uh in Columbus, Georgia, and other places, now training African uh, military leaders. Now, are these the people that are leading coups and attempting to overthrow democratic governments? That's uh, for another show, another time. But uh, you definitely see that happening in the United States. And it's certainly not to support uh, independence. And it's not to support democracy. It's to support the control over resources. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. What we're going to do right now, make that transition to Brother Moses. Brother Moses. You know, we understand that when you talk about being free, you must talk about people in relationship to land. 
Is it wrong for Africans to re- reclaim their land and their resources? Brother Moses? Certainly when you start talking about the national question and colonialism, uh, Marxism and the national question, um, I think, you know, the book by Stalin is the authority on that. Uh, I recommend it. Uh, but anyway, um, the question of land is the essence of the national question, the whose land is it and who, who gets to use it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Africa for Africans is the slogan. Uh, uh, and so, you know, Zimbabwe had to struggle uh, um uh, and you know you alienate a lot of the West when you start taking taking land and, and nationalizing land and giving redistributing land to the to the people uh, uh, and looking out for the interests of the people. Anytime you're looking out for the interests of the people, um, capital comes into contradiction and uh, and um, usually it wants to disrupt you what you're doing to stop it and uh, advances capitalist interests, um, which is diametrically opposed to the interests of the people who are trying to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And uh, and uh, it's not just about money, 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 and the pursuit of money. And so, you know, we, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I'll, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, Brother Hakeem. One of the issues that were raised in this video, why are they still there, is this issue of, and I found ironic that um, would this particular situation be um, acceptable under any other condition, any other, anywhere else in this world? And the condition I'm speaking to, Brother Hakeem, is this question of exploiting they are not minerals throughout the environment of the people who live in that area or live in that country and live in the region. I don't think another group of people go anywhere in other countries and exploit and take their other people's minerals and while them having a pressure in it where there will not be a resistance in the fight and people know something's on the equation. Can you talk a little bit about this whole question and the notions of they assuming that they see nothing wrong with exploiting other folks' minerals and not even having these people have no relationship to how these minerals are dealt with in terms of, you know, the area in which these minerals come from and the people. Your response, Brother Hackney? Yeah, well, yeah, well, well, you know, Brother Africa, you know, the, the bottom line is that, you know, when the United States talk about rules, rules-based order, essentially what they're saying is that, you know, um, uh, America is, is, the, is, is, is the, 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 the epitome, you know, of, uh, of supreme. In other words, there's no shit. America has the right to do what it wants, when it wants. It's embedded in all its institutions. In that context, when it, when it comes to taking one people's resources, and the impact on the citizenry and in terms of the improvisation, you know, of their society, they're not concerned with that. 
They're not concerned with that. Their position is that, you know, you know, our only goal is to have access to resources. Now, that means we're going to have to fundamentally pay, you know, political leadership in those African countries to obtain those resources. We'll do that. If that means undermining their economy for the purpose of extracting those resources very cheaply, we're going to do that. Now, keep in mind, you know, when we talk about, you know, the, um, the Bretton Woods Accords, remember, that was the end of colonialism and the beginning of imperialism. In other words, the, the whole question in terms of exploiting African resources became much more scientific. In addition to that, not just more scientific, but they also talk about when we work in concert with other Western states, you know, and we're going to divvy up the resources to ensure that we're all Western states are happy and we're very, very profitable. There were, there's no concern in terms of, in terms of you know, uh, the impact on the people who live in those, those African states, nor is there any concern of the people who live in the global south generally. So having said that, I think one of the things we got we 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 have to just uh, we we have to uh, uh, we have to dissuade ourselves from believing is this whole notion in terms that morality objectively exists. Uh, you know, there's a philosopher who talks about the fact that there is no morality; there's only social convention. In other words, morality is wherever you say it is. There's no universal standard of morality. When you talk about in the context of capitalism, from the exploitation of people. There is no there is no concern in terms of morality. In fact, uh, when you give when you look at historically, you look in terms of the historical uh, uh, narratives that's been painted by Western states. African people are not even uh, are somewhat are somewhat not even human. And so, even though it, in the 21st century they would never say that out loud, the bottom line in terms of the in terms of their impact or the practices that they engage in in terms of the improvisation of the African continent and the impact on the people is simply, is simply uh, not, a, not a concern. In other words, what they're saying without saying is that the African people's lives not only, not only unimportant, it's because they're somehow not human. We really, don't, we really shouldn't even care in terms of the implications of our policy in terms of what the damage it does to, the, to those societies. So this is so this is so so your question is so your question begs the question around you know around morality. I think one of the things we have a discussion around capitalism. We have to understand there is no morality in capitalism. They don't have an understanding of right and wrong. Everything's expedient. They do whatever they have to do in terms of profitability. They don't give a damn what it is. If they have to destroy the planet for profitability, then that's what they're going to do. If they have to destroy a mass, large number of people in order to maintain profitability, that's what they're going to do. Uh, so it, it so it doesn't matter. So I think when we, once we fundamentally understand that morality and capitalism doesn't exist, then certainly we can understand why you innovate systems which are got which are dominantly opposed to the interests of humanity, uh, but at the same token, um, ensuring that a small group of people on the planet prosper. Also, uh, I think you know uh, you know once we we have that, that that firm understanding in terms of the tenets of capitalism in terms of the lack of morality. Then we're not. We shouldn't be surprised at nothing that they do. Uh, it's simply come upon us, you know, the oppressed, you know, or you to free ourselves from the, from this uh, entanglement, and and do what we have to do in terms of, you know, and uh, making sure our societies are, are viable. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Anthony, we're gonna raise this issue with you in the context of video, why are you still here, well, why are we still here, 
So there's a very interesting question, Brother Anthony. And the question is, why is it that African countries, some African countries, are still paying colonial tax to France? And then we think about a statement about Steve Biko, where he stated that one of the advantages the oppressor has over us is the control of our mind. Why is it that some of these African nations are paying, still paying a colonial tax to France? Uh, the problem is, uh, as Vico alluded to, is illogical. Uh, we have to change the way we think. And uh, we uh, and uh, a, a lot of us, unfortunately, are educated in such a way that we look out for other people's interests at the expense of our own. And uh, and uh, and uh, uh, this is an error. But uh, but because. Uh, uh, one of the legacies of colonialism is the control of the educational system of the youth by people outside of the continent. And uh, this has uh, implications in terms of why neocolonialism runs rampant in Africa today. Because we do not uh we do not have a political mechanism for educating ourselves in our own interests but i think people are getting fed up with the current setup and i think that is why uh you know these uh coups are occurring throughout africa and there are uprisings occurring throughout africa because people are getting tired of the current system. And uh and uh what uh what it's gonna take is a permanent organization and political education of the masses of our people. And uh that is the ultimate solution to our problem. And I think people are, are starting to see that. Slowly but surely, people are starting to realize that the only way we can, uh, you know, drive off the yoke of neocolonialism and other forms of capitalism is to unify and organize ourselves. We have to look to ourselves primarily not outsiders for uh you know for our freedom. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Since I know it also raises the issue of this question around the concept of democracy rule versus the concept of personal rule. It seems that to me the personal rule is more powerful and more um widespread in terms of implementation than the so-called democracy rule when you look at the behavior of the West. 
your response around this game with words, the mock the rule versus the personal rule, and what that means to you, Sister Eleanor. I'm sorry. You said democracy rule versus what? Personal rule. Principle rule. Well, I'm sorry. Individual rule. Personal rule. Individual rule. Yes. Well, part of uh, uh, individual rule or capitalism. Uh, capitalism, uh, imperialism, authoritarianism, which we're fighting right now, these are all anti, these are all destructive human behaviors. Uh, we can see the impact it's had on Mother Earth, on, uh, on Africa on every continent. And uh, right now, uh, the word democracy is thrown around kind of loosely. We have the endowment for democracy, which should, uh, which is not an endowment for democracy and is an, an endowment for undermining democracies, as we saw recently with the shutdown of several hundred quote, non-profits in uh, Nicaragua. Uh, in the United States, also, they shut down nearly 10,000, but I don't think it was because of uh, their uh, uh, being anti-democratic necessarily. But I, I do not know, I haven't investigated that issue, but I do know the Nicaraguans I had to shut down several quote nonprofits that were or helped organized by the endowment for democracy, and it seems to be um, doing the work of uh, what used to be the job of the Central Intelligence Agency abroad is now is carrying on some of those tasks. But the reality is right now. Uh, the importance is fighting capitalism, fighting imperialism, fighting neocolonialism. For example, with the auto strike going on in this country right now, it gives uh, Africa a chance to weigh in on this strike with the production of electric cars that is not going to provide the minerals necessary unless it's at market value and only in union-recognized uh, states. They will not allow any resources for the production of uh uh, electric cars to uh, be utilized in these, quote, right-to-work states. You know, in the United States, the right-to-work sounds like, oh, that's great. You know, you got a right to have a job. Nope, the right-to-work means, yeah, you got a right to jo- have a job, but the problem is the right to have a decent living 
and uh, that's that's the issue. So it's you see all these little uh, niches where the where since action like with Deion Sanders, you know, what he did at Jackson State, now doing it at the University of Colorado, you see this opportunity for business for um, uh, colonial, um, for commodity uh, dealers to set up co-ops and to do other things of that of that type um, and to help in colonialism and in uh, to end imperialism and uh, there there is a real opportunity for action to be taken and we we, we see that now um, and we see it all the time and what we have to do is weed out the bad the bad apples and uh, a remarkable thing happened as we know um, just a few weeks ago when the United States threatened to invade Africa and other countries stood up and said, well, if you invade Burkina Faso, if you invade Niger, well, we're all taking that as an action against us. So they may not be an African NATO but there was African unity, and that was a great thing to see. So we need to see more of that. And it's really important right now with the commodities that are necessary for changing industry, you know, um, to green industry, in, um, green energy. Uh, so now's an opportunity to see this happening. It's also a great opportunity right now to bring uh, uh, elect- solar uh, electricity to community by community in Africa because of the large number of diasporas. Uh, uh, the diaspora has grown so in the United States that this would be a great time. But again, it would depend on political education and educating the people not to advance capitalism, but rather to advance uh, a new change, a uh, uh, Marxist-Leninist change in, 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 in industry where they not only make a decent living, but they and every worker, that everyone's paid the same, uh, not where some are paid millions and others are paid dollars. I, I, I can quote a woman who said that the gringos think that they live on dollars and the rest of us live on centavos. So they live on dollars and we live on pennies. Well, that's not true. And there is a real opportunity right now to see um, political and economic change. Um, And we do this through uh, impacting the economy where we live, you know, the micro economy. 
So um, I say the future is bright. Thank you, One of the things we have to realize is war comes in different forms. And when we look at the psychological warfare that they have going on as it relates to Africa, African people, um, I'm just curious in terms of how do they get us to buy into this narrative that they come to a continent that is useless, they come to a continent that is poor, they come to a continent that has nothing. But for some strange reason, they come to a, con- a continent would not be, but come back rich. How can that be, Brother Haki? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> obviously this, this, this notion that, you know, Af- you know Africa is poor uh, is a misnomer. Africa is not poor, as Kwame Ture used to say, is poorly organized. Uh, so I think that the mere fact that when they go to Africa in the first place, they understand the opportunity exists there, and so we we, we so we shouldn't concern ourselves too much with this with this narrative, which constantly tout Africa, you know, as somehow being poor, and that's simply simply not the case. Uh, but you know, I think, brother Africa, I I, I think that you know uh, one of the things you know I, I got to say when we when we talk about it in terms of this potential, you know, of, of these people out of the West, you know, going to Africa and enriching themselves. I think to some extent we have to lay some blame in terms of the political leadership in Africa. Uh, that is not to say that you should be discriminatory in terms of, you know, how business is, is how business is, is done in Africa. But certainly what it means that when we talk historically in terms of the limitations, you know, for African people, you know, to excel economically in Africa, when we, when we talk about that propensity, and certainly we got to understand that we have a moral obligation, if not a political obligation, to ensure that opportunities in terms of in, in, enriching themselves should first and foremost go to African people who have born, who have uh, born, who have, who are uh, carried the brunt, you know, of exploitation, you know, through the centuries. Uh, so clearly, uh, Brother Africa, I think that, you know, uh, you know, this notion that the fact that Africa is, is poor, it's a perfect example in terms of Africa not being poor. Africa just need to be better organized in terms of meeting the challenges, you know, that it must meet in terms of being, you know, legitimately free. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, again, war comes in different forms and various forms. In terms of this question of language and words, I think we need to be um, – a lot more conscious of how we receive these words and how these words are used by us and the enemy and how they are applied. I'm just wondering if I just could get a general response from you, Brother Anthony. What is the difference between a saying interest, a concept called interest rate, a concept called debt, a concept called exploitation, how are those concepts any different from thievery and just theft? Your response, Brother Anthony? Uh, yes, they are. Um, interest rate, uh, rate is, uh, is a measure of, uh, of, uh, of 
how, uh, of how how much money uh, of the value of money, so to speak. And um, you know, uh, uh, let's see this um, uh, the uh, the rate of um, uh, interest rate is uh, is how much. Uh, money earns when it's uh, when when uh, when it's uh, it, it never just sits there for one. Currency moves, and um, you know, and, and and currency has to move in order for it to have any value. And um, you know, uh, so interest is a measure of uh, the movement of currency, so to speak. And so I don't think uh, people should get uh, bogged down in uh, uh, that sort of thing. It's something to be understood, but um, you know, but uh, you know, um, uh, the the thing, the key thing is taking concrete steps toward political unification and uh, towards pan-Africanism. That is the ultimate solution to the problems facing African people worldwide, especially at home and abroad. And uh, and uh, let's see, the problem is that the leadership, uh, because it it has this uh, it, it has this uh, you know uh, uh, European bourgeois uh, thinking. Uh, don't look. Uh, don't look towards Africa and uh, and the uni- the possibility of African unification as um, as a solution to the problems that face Africa. And I think uh, you know that uh, when uh, when this is realized, and I think some uh, some pa- uh, some forces are starting to realize that. And that's why, you know, these coups are are occurring in Africa because people are getting fed up. And they want an end to uh, neocolonialism and all forms of exploitation once and for all. And panelists, we have about two questions left before we get to closing tonight. On that thing, Africa owes you nothing. First question to everybody, I would like to hear each person's response, and that is, as we look at the video, Your Days Are Numbered, by Julius Malima from EFF, one of the feature points that came from that particular presentation is that European people are always hollering about they want people to be peaceful. Are you to be peaceful? What is that all about, Brother Moses? Are you going to be peaceful? Yeah, are you going to be peaceful? They're concerned about people being peaceful. Yeah, protect their property, protect their business arrangements. The only time they the only time they're concerned about peace is in those kind of domestic situations and um um but you know 
they have a two face because they have a double standard. They want to make money off war, and so they they are finding conflicts all over the world. They get involved with the poor poor armaments into the the pop up the military industrial complex to feed the war machine, and so you know this piece this piece on the the, the Domestically, they usually want in the domestic bill. They want peace to to make that money uh, because they don't want war at home if, if possible. And uh, so it's a double standard. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Since I know two minutes or less, your response. What is this issue concerned about African people to be peaceful? Whereas when it comes to them, to us, it's not an issue. I'm sorry, Brother Africa. I'm having difficulty hearing you. What did you say? Why is there a great concern among the European classes, the wealthy ones, the the ones who have wealth, the ones who have wealth? Is there a question of our people being peaceful? Why is there such an issue of concern for them when they are normally not peaceful to us? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. There was someone speaking in the background. What did you say, Brother Africa? Speak to the issue of peace versus being valid as it relates to the European interest. The European interest has no, they have no interest in peace. They have an interest in their personal comfort. And that means the fostering of capitalism and imperialism in Africa. There is no interest in peace. There's an interest in colonial domination. I call it the new military state. You hear us, uh, you saw what happened in Libya, how NATO played a role in the assassination of, of Omar Gaddafi. So you see that advancement, and you saw the attempted, the attempted advance, the attempted, the attempted advance last month with the invasion of Burkina Faso. So uh, again, I don't really see any real movement towards. Uh, Peace or 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 liberation. Doctor Shizalnor, Doctor Haki, you know that days are number in terms of that domination over Africa, African people, to people in general. And we're really not talking about all people who may be of European descent, but we're talking about people who have practiced and institutionalized a system of exploitation and oppression. What is it about their interest of asking us to be peaceful when they have a history in terms of systematically speaking, they have not been peaceful to us? Your response, Brother Happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting paradox. Uh, you know, when, when they say, please be, be, be peaceful, be peaceful, uh, it's, it's another way of saying, listen, I understand the indignation, you know, of being exploited and, and, and abused and manipulated and put down. I understand that those kind of things evoke very 
very negative feelings, but please keep those feelings in check. Don't let those feelings bubble to the surface because you know what? You might assault me, and you know I'm 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 just not uh, I'm not much of a warrior. Of course, when you look at the of course when you look at the uh, the global picture in terms of the use of violence. I mean, when you talk about the Western elites, uh, nobody uses more violence than the Western Western elites. When Martin Luther King say that the U.S., for example, is the most the greatest surveyor of violence in the world, he wasn't just talking. Uh, they got violence down to a science. Everything, not just militarily, but just in terms of relationship with human beings is very, very violent. Uh, relationship with the, with, the, with the climate is very violent. Uh, relationship with the ecology, uh, well, relationship with the, with the planet is very, very violent. So the strain of violence is something, that's, something that has been manifesting itself for a long period of time. So I suspect this question in peace has more to do with in terms of, you know, uh, people, people, you know, Western elites trying to reconcile the fact that you know they are very, they have very, very, they are very, very violent species in terms of, you know, ability or the, the, the willingness to inflict violence on on any and everything. So I think that's that's really the real motivation behind why they always talk about be peaceful, be peaceful. You know what I mean? And certainly, when you talk about being peaceful, one of the things you understand is that, you know, being peaceful is not going to bring about the resolution that you seek. Uh, you can't. When you talk about a system like capitalism, which is immoral, which has no morality, and you're talking about being peaceful, the re- I maintain the reason why Africa's in a position is in, in part, is because it's peaceful. This is precisely why Africa's in a position is in. Now, Africa has to take the pages from the West. Listen, sometimes you got to fight fire with fire. You're ruthless? i got to get ruthless. That's what China did. China say China doesn't play. China said, "Listen, we can be peaceful, but if you want to get ruthless, we get ruthless." Africa had to adopt, adopt the same kind of strategy. Africa is much too peaceful, you know what I mean, which serves to the, to the benefit of the West because it makes exploitation that much easier. Uh, because all they have to say is, "Listen, as long as you're peaceful, everything is going to be all right." But of course, they understand in, in, in that regard when you advocate peace, you know, when you talk about you know, coming up against a violent force. Then the bottom line is, who do you think is going to win when peace comes up against a violent entity? Who do you think is going to win? Historically, who have won? So, so I, so I think to some sense, you know, I think, so I think on one, on some level, this whole question in terms of the propensity for the Western, at least you talking about peace, peace, peace. You know, I think, I, I think it's a realization that they, they understand. In fact, the kind of things they have been perpetuating through the ages. You know, it's, it's, it's reaching, it's reaching, it's reaching a, a crescendo, and people are getting to the point where they're ready to, you know, where they're literally ready to explode because they simply can't take anymore. U.S. I mean, elite, uh, Western elites would rather that they that they that they keep that hostility or that feeling in check and express it in a more peaceful manner, in a manner which is more uh, uh, palatable to Western elites because it makes them feel more comfortable because they can continue to practice their 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 uh, aggressiveness. And then no, there would be no repercussions as a result of practicing aggressiveness, you know, against people around the world, particularly on the African continent. So for them, I think, it's, for them, it's a strategy. Everything is. So Western elites, they use the strategy in terms of peace, peace. You know, we want peace. You know, it's just a strategy. And I think for anybody who, who understands the way the world is organized, uh, certainly one thing you should strive for is peace. But, in a, but you also should understand why you, why you subscribe for peace to peace, you should also understand that at some, at some point, from a strategic point of view, you got to do what you got to do strategically 
in terms of combating a very aggressive, very militaristic, or very inhuman system. And that doesn't inquire, and that doesn't suggest that the implementation of peace is should be utilized in terms of your attempt, you know, in terms to to, to fight back against a system which, that's across the board inhumane. So clearly, Brother Africa, you know, I think this question of peace, 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 always smile whenever I heard these Western leaders say peace, we want peace, or when they say be peaceful, or or, or, or when you have these uh, when you have people gathering these large gatherings, you know, protests. And uh, the first thing the, the government officials always say, we, we want peace, we want peace, we want peace. But, of course, when it comes to reeling in the police, when it comes to economic equality in society, when it comes to uh, reeling in corporations in terms of average and greed, uh, well, the, the, the much violence as you can inflict in terms of corporations and police, and much violence you can inflict, that's good. That's good. But when it comes to the people standing up and saying, listen, enough is enough, we're ready to fight back. Oh, no, 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 no. Peace. We've got to be peaceful. Please be peaceful. So it's a, it's a joke. So I think for them it's, it's simply a strategy, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Anthony, can you reflect on this question and just give me your thoughts? Is it possible to have peace while having equal rights and justice? Uh, no, uh, it, it is impossible. Uh, peace, uh, uh, it's not possible to have peace without justice at the same time. And, uh, and that's something that, uh, that people are, 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 are starting to realize that you can't have peace when, when there's oppression. And uh, when there's exploitation of um, of uh, one set of human beings by another, it is not possible to have a peaceful environment. Uh, uh, the uh, it can only uh, the solution can only be through armed struggle. But we have to get organized in order to have that option available. And, uh, you know, and uh, exploitation will continue as long as people uh, put up with it and are not organized to fight against it. And uh, it's going to take struggle. And... Uh, you know, it's not going to be one way. And that's what uh, the, the European bourgeoisie fears, that, uh, that uh, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, double-edged sword cuts on both sides. And that, uh, and that the violence will not be limited and will cause destruction and property damage and what have you. And it causes instability. But, um, you know, the only way to, uh, to win justice is to end oppression. And that, uh, and, uh, and, and that entails organization. And uh, in terms, and it turns, and it incurs, and involves pan Africanism. The total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism, and that means 
a war against the sporting classes. Combat class warfare. And uh, and that is the only way it, uh, it can be resolved. Through, uh, through organized warfare. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And for those you listen to Africa on the Moon, we're going to take a rough culture break and we come back. We have political panelists and analysts and ask them to give us their final, their final thoughts on the theme tonight why Africa owes you nothing. And when we talk about you, we talk about Europe, we talk about capitalism, we talk about Zionism, imperialism, we talk about other things that have used Africa to change to destroy Africa since the beginning of time. So anyway, time to think about why Africans owe you nothing. We'll hear your response as we close out today's program. We'll be right back, and this is Brother Africa. And you listen to Africa on the Moon.
I give it up has 
to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom. Take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do. Because Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move as we do our closing tonight. We ask you to listen very carefully to our political panelists and analysts as they give their reasons on why Africa owes you nothing. Starting out with Brother Moses, your final thoughts on for tonight? Why Africa owes you nothing? Brother Moses. Yes, well, like I said, um, you don't exploit people and then tell them you're doing them a favor. And as they owe you for exploiting them. Um, Africa owes Europe nothing. As a matter of fact, Europe owes Africa for for reparations. And um, it's all a question of viewpoint, narrative, and um, and um, interest. You know, we all have our interests, and we have to pursue our interests and recognize that other people's interests is affected by our interests, and we have to be just and fair in terms of our interactions with each other. And uh, certainly sovereign countries of Africa should be respected as sovereign countries with rights. And um, But as the, the court case said, you know, whether it's African, black People have no rights that white people are bound to respect. And so Europeans are, are playing out that narrative. Uh, and we we have to have our own agenda, our own self-determined plan of action. That's the name of the game. You have to have your own agenda because otherwise you'll, you'll, be, you'll be fighting forever. Uh, um, and it's not we're not playing checkers, we're playing chess. And so it's unequal development, unequal 
on inequalities. We're born in a world of sin, shaped in iniquity, and comes short of the glory of God. And so there's inequality in the world, and there's there are privileged and underprivileged, haves and have-nots, and we have to recognize that and organize ourselves accordingly to the interests of the working class. And thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we're going to transition to Sister Eleanor. Why Africa owns you nothing? Sister Eleanor. Yes. Uh, thank you, Brother Africa. First of all, um, one thing Brother Moses said that really is important is reparations. And uh, the issue of reparations is a uh, uh, domestic problem in the United States, but it also is becoming an issue uh, with Europe. You know, for 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 decades, uh, France had Haiti uh, paying uh, its reparations for the liberation of its people. And uh, that finally stopped. And it's as if the European, the CFR, that note is a form of reparation to France when, in effect, it is the exploitation of African people and of Africa. So the issue right now, again, is simply... um, what type of revenue will Africans use going forward? Will they continue to use uh, the CFR? Will they continue in in Anglophone, uh, former Anglophone countries to see their money devalued, such as Zunera in Nigeria, or will they change the the price rate for oil, gas, and other commodities that are being sold to the world market, on the world market. And uh, as Brother Haiki said, uh, China is not taking it and Africa need not take it. And to be uh, prepared to defend yourself and to defend your your brother nations is going to be an important play an important role in uh, the uh, immediate future. And the one thing that needs to be done is to eliminate all. European and U.S. military bases in Africa. Uh, We know way back in 1960 when um, Nguma and Castro spoke to the U.N., they talked about having no European or U.S. military influence no nuclear weapons on the African continent. And that 
speech needs to be revisited, revisited and utilized by the African Union and by each and every African nation for its own advancement and independence and currency. The currency you use is so important. And uh, again, trading uh, in currency should become an occupation for African uh, nations to trade their dollars for the most valuable currency. And uh, that's it for me this evening. I just think that uh, economic liberation, uh, education, environmental liberation, I think of the environmental damage done in this country by the capitalists where they build their factories, where they build their waste uh, dumps and uh, that kind of thing, and how the U.S. wanted to place nuclear waste along the border of the Sudan and the bordering nation. I don't remember whether it was Mali or where it was, but Omar Gaddafi stop that, but there is no Omar Gaddafi. So now the question is, we're going to look at people like General Tory and, 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 and Burkina Faso, look to other African leaders and look to the South African president, the President Kenyatta in Kenya and uh, Mackey and Senegal and look at people who seem to be um, acting with the interests of the people at heart and see a coalition develop that focuses on a new currency, whether it's the brick or some other uh, currency. That's the way one tool for fighting Capitalism and imperialism. All right, she's got to know you got 30 seconds. Good night. I said good thank night. you and good night. Mm-mm. Thank you. Brother Effie, why Africa owes you nothing? Your final thoughts. Africa has been subject to. Uh, to to uh, to hundreds of years of exploitation. Therefore, it owes it it, it owes uh, it doesn't owe European uh, Europeans anything. And uh, and uh, all, all, the, all the solution to our to our uh, continued oppression is to organize. We must. Africans must belong to an organization that's working for people's liberation, for for Pan-Africanism. The total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. That is the solution to our problems. And uh, we and uh, we and one such organization that's working towards that 
is the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC. You can find out more information about us by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And you can find out more about our objective, our history, and our program, uh, which is to build a critical mass of organized cadre to bring about the organization of the masses of our people to achieve liberation from all forms of oppression. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haku, close us on out for today's program. Africa owes you nothing. Your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> well, I got a very simple question for people. That is, do, do people have a right to exist? Now, the capitalists would say, capitalists would say no. In fact, capitalists would say that no one owes you a living. But it's very interesting, but they advocate working. But, of course, when they advocate working, they talk about working you know, at unfair wages, not based upon what you produce or what you make or what you sell, but based upon the, 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 the ability of uh, the, the, the corporate taskmasters to get wealthy at your expense. So it's very interesting with, with respect to this question in terms of employment. Uh, one of the things, you know, when we talk about this question of employment, you know, we talk about uh, full employment. And, you know, and it's ironic when in the context of capitalism, when you talk about full employment, you're not talking about employing everybody who wants a job. That's not what full employment means. Full employment means that you only employ enough people to the extent, you know, that they don't mess with your profits. To the extent that employment messes with your profit, you must get rid of people. And so as a context, uh, people talk, capitalists talk about a heating economy. And so it's very ironic that when you talk about a heated economy, uh, the question in terms of what about people's right to exist, given that they need to make money to make to, to live, what about that? Uh, the capitalist has no, no response whatsoever, and I find that very, very extraordinary. So also, you know, when you talk about the right, the right to work in terms of <clears throat> employment, now the right to work essentially talks about the rights for employers. It means the right for employers to get rid of people for any reason whatsoever. In that context, if you've got somebody who's uh, disgruntled because they're working them excessively and, and they're not being compensated, then that's, that's a rabble rouse. He's a troublemaker. He or she must go. And the, and the employers are protected by state statute in terms of the right to work. But then again, what about the, the rights of, uh, what about not only the rights of, of, of people to, to, to contest conditions that they find unfavorable, uh, and, but more importantly, what about the rights uh, to, the, to their families? When you give it to these people, what about their, their family? If their families pay the consequence. So again, do these people have a right to exist? And finally, Brother Africa, I think that, you know, also, you know, this question in terms of employment is so important because when you talk about this question of supply-side economics, you talk about giving excessive tax cuts, tax breaks uh, to, to, to the wealthy, and you talk about investments and corporations in terms of bonds, and you, government bonds. When you talk about these kind of investments, the reality is that these investments are not used in terms of further, the furthering of employment. They are used in terms of further enrichment of, 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 of select class of corporate owners. And so when you think about that, then certainly when you have these people using their wealth for the, for the purpose of ingratiating themselves, then what about the right to people to, to exist? What about their right to eat, their right to pay the rent or the mortgage, uh, their, their right to, 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 to observe some, some, some reasonable standard of living? 
those are questions that are not pertinent as far as capitalism is concerned. And that's a very scary thing about that's a very scary thing, you know, about capitalism. And one thing is, is very clear that as these situations deteriorate and since become more as the situation become more and more prominent, more and more people are going to be subjected, you know, to these kind to these kinds of uh predicaments. And that is sad, but that's in fact yeah, that's the way capitalism works. But having said that, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix because one thing is very, very clear. <clears throat> If we think for one second that the capitalists are going to stop doing what they're doing as long as they benefit, then we're sadly mistaken. It's incumbent upon people to come together to organize to work, create those institutions, those organizations in the community to combat the systematic wrongs that are very much a part of the capitalist system. And with that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. You do the same, Brother Haki, and to my panelists and analysts for today's program. And, of course, to our listeners and our supporters. We do ask you to help us in the next couple of months to reach that goal of going over 100,000 listenership. I spread the word. We come on every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Daylight Time, U.S. And you can reach us by dialing at 323-679-0841. Or you go online by going to Blog Talk Radio and type in Africa on the Moon. Remember, we advocate that without information, you can't do what? Thank. And without organization, you cannot do what? Thank clearly. If you want to help your mother, Africa, your African brothers and sisters throughout the world, humanity, the best way to do this is to be organized. Therefore, we encourage you to join an organization that is working for the liberation of your people. And if you find the organization or if you don't find the organization that fits your needs and your understanding of what must be done, then you have a responsibility to create one yourself. In the moment, organization decides everything. Until next time, my brother Africa, we can continue to travel down the road of liberation. We'll see you next week, same time, same station. And like always, we strive to go forever and backwards and never. This has been another episode of Africa on the Moon. I'm Brother Africa. We'll see you next week. And remember, Africa owes you nothing. But it does owe capitalism, imperialism, and violence, all the systems a good pick up, you know what. Until next time, let's continue to travel down the road of liberation and invocation. This is Africa on the Moon. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah.
Bible, we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino! You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people. The love of my people shining like the sun everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
Civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did its way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seemed like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery. Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler, trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree, and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue in silence, or forever be our own down. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale, and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence, but don't let it steal our faith. Right behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Cause if my hat's with her, Malcolm hat's with her. It be our own people do the trolling. Spill ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause the mom had Twitter. And Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Spill ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you're looking for be right in front of you. Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new. I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right, your arrogance precedes you. What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic. Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry. Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me. A man lay dead in the street today. I must have hung my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who got five on my little bundle of temporary? Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary. Your statistics said by now that I'm going to be dead and buried. But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already. And I'm march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose. Two different tribes and we fighting the same person. Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us. Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away.
famille Évidemment nous sommes débrouillés Si c'est de donne un portement vite J'ai pas de quoi me faire des débrouillés Je me tiens la tête devant mon poster Suis-je un imposteur Dois changer de posture J'ai dit Dois changer de couleur Ou me laisser couler Ou prendre la couleur J'ai dit Tomber bien bas Dès qu'elle descend Dois tout donner la mort N'a pas en descente Tout ce que je fais N'a aucun sens Qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire Car c'est sans visu c'est sans visu Je comprends pas ton J'espère ça pour être honnête Oui je suis honnête J'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs Les sûr j'ai cassé J'étais de rattraper le temps J'ai foncé dans le mur me croyant Ainsi j'ai oublié qu'il était embêtant Je suis complexé t'as vu A la longue ça devient embêtant Je me sens prêté pour pression Je me sens obligé d'ôter le temps Mets dans la cocotte minou Car je dépense tout dans le loto Je me rongeais son à chaque minute J'ai pas ta faire à les deux Puis c'est vrai Tu sais dans ma cour Je t'en passe le bout Puis c'est vrai Tu sais dans ma cour Je l'avoue Tombé bien bas Mais qu'elle descend Dois tout donner la mort N'a pas pas de descente Tout ce que je fais N'a aucun sens Qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire Car c'est sans idée c'est sans visu, je crois pas ton sonnet, c'est que ça pour être honnête, oui j'ai sonné J'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs, les tirs j'ai gâté, j'étais de rattraper le temps J'ai foncé dans le mur, me croyant, ainsi j'ai oublié qu'il était embêtant Je suis complexé, t'as vu, à la longue ça devient embêtant Je me sens prêté sous pression, je me sens obligé d'ôter le temps
que me dan Cuando yo quiero salir a bailar Siempre me protege el lengua Yo llamo a mi lengua buquenque Y él me responde a buquenque Viene que viene mi lengua Con su tambor en su guata